0: This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, uh, this just in, not a single one of you is normal. Uh, uh, No. Oh yeah, no, she walked out, yeah, not one. There is actually no such thing as a normal brain. Um, There's a wonderful neuroscience book called Shadow Syndromes, and basically what it says is that we all sort of have tendencies in one direction or another. When those tendencies get extreme and start interfering with your daily life, that's when it gets labeled as a disorder, but there's no such thing as sort of a neutral brain. So the church has gotten better in recent years about talking about mental health, um, but it varies how well we talk about it. Um, And when we carry around misconceptions, or when we're trying to help ourselves or others without having a lot of information about what we're dealing with, it's liable to not go very well. Um, So this morning, we're gonna talk about mental health in the church. I'm gonna adjust this up because I am a tall person. Um, (laughs) This is not gonna be comprehensive, um, and that's, partly because there are just a lot of different ways to be abnormal, and there's a lot of it in the church. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus loves and welcomes the broken and attracts those of us who struggle. Um, And also, when you struggle, you know your need. You're not distracted by the illusion of control. So people who experience brokenness have the gift of being ready for Jesus. So if you, if you kind of look around and feel like, man, there are a lot of weird people here, um, that's why. So <laughs> that's a gift though, isn't it? Thank God that there are so many unusual people here. Um, I'm, I'm about to start uh, the theater intensive tomorrow. Uh, pray for me. Um, <laughs> But there was, there was one year um, where we had a lot of um, what clinicians often call non-neurotypical kids. Um, and at the end of the first week, I ended up sending an email to the parents um, because people were used to the dynamic where um, sort of the more typical children are at an advantage. Um, and so we had some parents actually complaining that their kids hadn't gotten bigger parts in the play than the non-neurotypical kids had gotten. Um, So I kept my little volcano of anger on the inside, but I explained um, both for them and for these kids who had kind of felt second class all their lives, that that doesn't apply in theater, not even a little bit. A lot of times my autistic actors are the most expressive and honest on stage. A lot of times my dyslexic actors memorize their lines first because they have to learn kinesthetically. Um, my ADHD actors have energy and charisma and are ready to try anything where uh, the other actors kind of have to fight against their inhibitions. Why do I mention this? It's not to scare the parents out of complaining, although... <laughs> But the world's rankings of people do not apply in the church either. Um, And if one selfish workaholic can see the value in these minds, how much more does the creator of all that diversity value it? The way that God values people's minds is not lip service to diversity. It's not in spite of how you are. It's not a consolation prize for being how you are. God made you on purpose and he does not make mistakes. However, all of us, no matter how extreme or not our tendencies are, find that sometimes the mind can be just a really difficult place to be. Sometimes it's downright painful. So what do we do with it when this beautiful brain that God gave you or your spouse or your child or your neighbor is unhealthy? Well, we're looking at John chapter nine today, um, and you you may notice that I did not pick one of the passages that speaks directly to mental health in the Bible, and I could have. Um, there's there's Psalm 22 where where Jesus talks about feeling forsaken by God. There's Psalm 42 that says, "Why so downcast, O my soul?" Um, there's the there's the story of Jesus healing the man who had been you know living in the tombs and cutting himself with stones for years. Um, but there is a method to my madness. (laughs) Um, This passage in John 9 tells us some important things. Um, They're kind of about suffering in general, but today we're gonna specifically focus on what they tell us about our mental health journeys. So there's, there's gonna be four important things that we can learn from this passage. That's a cue to get your pencils out. That was a trick statement, nobody carries pencils anymore. Okay, the first thing that it has to teach us There we go. Is oh, thank you. Is that it is not your fault. Um, Yes, there are ways that you can take care of your brain. We'll talk about that more later. And no, it doesn't mean you're not responsible for your own actions. But just because there is something wrong in your mind does not mean that there's something wrong with your faith. So when you are depressed and your friend posts that quote on Instagram that joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God, it doesn't mean that you're wrong for not being able to feel joy. And when you're struggling with an anxiety disorder, the verse that says, be anxious for nothing, is not a reprimand. When you have a rage disorder, and yes, that is a thing, um, when the Bible says, let us put aside anger, that doesn't mean that you're a failure. People who struggle with schizophrenia or dementia and it says God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind, that does not mean that you are unloved or abandoned or bad because your mind is not always sound. When you uh, struggle with autism and you read that love is not rude, it doesn't mean that you're unloving because you don't always know the right body language or vocal tone to indicate that you're trying to be respectful and kind. And you know what? That is true of your neighbor too. Um, We've got got foxes in the woods around here, but you hardly ever see them. And it's not because they're rare, but it's just because they're quiet. And for every one that you do see, you know that there are a dozen or 20 more that are in the woods that you're never gonna see. Mental health problems are kind of like foxes. For every person that you can see is not okay, There are a dozen more who aren't letting you know that they're not okay, and they might be struggling with any number of the things that we just talked about or something else entirely. So you can't just assume that somebody is is being a jerk or not listening because you don't know what they're struggling with. The second thing that we learn is that not every problem is a problem with God, but God is with every problem. There's a second half to that, eh. Do you ever have one of those horrible arguments where the other person is just a jerk and doesn't understand you and has never ever been a nice person to anyone in their lives, and then you eat and you realize that they're not a jerk at all, you were just hungry? Yeah. Well, the same thing can happen with faith and mental health, but imagine if you refused to believe that you were hungry, or if all of your friends told you to calm down and be nicer and pray about it or try harder and tried every means of help except for feeding you. Through no one's fault, I didn't know that I had OCD until I was well into my 20s. So I spent years with that constant feeling of something being wrong that OCD gives you and that strong urge to fix it that OCD gives you, wondering what am I actually feeling guilty about? What, what sin did I commit that I don't remember? Or, or maybe am I just being legalistic wanting so bad to fix whatever this is? The problem with misdiagnosing something as only spiritual is that you can't fix a spiritual problem that's not there. And it keeps you from addressing the problem that is there. The disciples in this passage misdiagnosed this man's problem. They were following the popular theology of their day, assuming because this guy is suffering, it must be either because he or his parents did something wrong in their relationship with God. And look at what Jesus says in this passage. He says, no, it's not a problem with God. But God is involved. Brokenness is not from God, but even this brokenness in this man's life has to bow the knee to serve God. God is not holding this against him, but God does care about it. This is not a spiritual problem, but then Jesus goes beyond the physical problem to bless him spiritually as well. Your mental health affects every aspect of your life because it's the fishbowl from, with from within which you see the world. And your spiritual life affects every aspect of your life because we are inherently spiritual beings created for complete relationship with God, relationship in which every aspect of ourselves is loved and known and important. So that means that spiritual and mental health will interact even though they are two separate things. The danger is that your mental health can sort of twine around whatever's important in your life and become your lens for interpreting it. But the good news is that God is with you in every moment, whether it's a sane moment or not, and that God cares about your wholeness, whether that's spiritual wholeness or any other kind. But wait, I hear some of you saying inside. So I believe that God's desire is for health and wholeness for us, but a lot of us walk through life having to work long and hard towards healing. And most of us are not done by the time we walk into our graves. So what's up with that? If God cares about my wholeness, why am I still dealing with this? The third thing that we learn here is that your life is a canvas for the glory of God. And this, this passage gives us a clue to how God works because Jesus could have shown up for this guy the day before. He could have shown up the year before. Heck, I don't know why he couldn't have shown up right when the man was born. Didn't Jesus know that this guy needed help sooner than that? Well, I can't tell you why God writes any person's story the way that he does, but I can tell you a story. In John chapter six, stop me if you've heard this one, there are 5,000 people out there, more than 5,000 people, and they're hungry. And Jesus takes a couple of loaves and a couple of fish and he feeds the whole crowd. But then what happens afterwards? There are all these broken pieces left over. And they are leftover miracles. And people don't even want them because they're broken and the people are full. And Jesus says something really important here He says, Let nothing be wasted. And so the disciples go and they gather all these broken pieces. And they fill up 12 baskets 12 is important in the bible so you've got these broken pieces filling 12 baskets so this is symbolizing the fulfillment of promises to israel because they had 12 tribes this is symbolizing god feeding the israelites in the desert after they escaped from egypt later in the chapter jesus also makes it clear that it symbolizes his body broken for us. So he made this into something holy and honorable and let it represent his own presence with us. And if he isn't willing to waste broken pieces of bread, and this was barley bread, this is the cheap stuff that poor people ate, how much more does he look at the broken pieces of your life and say, let nothing be wasted? He didn't look at that blind man's life and say, well, this life is worthless until I swoop in and fix it. He looked at that man and said, this life is meant to reveal the glory of God. Let nothing be wasted. Someone who was trying to be helpful once asked me, well, why did God make you the way that he did? You know, he was, I think he was, thought he was being profound and challenging me to think about things I hadn't thought about. I had. Um, and I said something about, oh, it allows me to help others, or whatever. Um, But that doesn't really answer the question of why mental health is a thing in the first place. That just kind of puts it one step back. If I'm struggling with mental health so that I can help somebody else, well, why are they struggling with their mental health, right? Um, So I thought about it a bit more um, and came to the conclusion, for myself at least, that um, it gives me a deeper way to love him. Because if you can love when your heart is broken, if you can believe in the light when it is dark, That is so much more beautiful than following Jesus when it's easy. And with that perspective, yes, I am happy if he wants to use my life to help somebody else. I'm happy if he wants to use it as a canvas for his glory and if he wants to use it to prepare me to understand and love somebody. The bumps in my road have made me who I am as a person and a preacher and a Christian and I would be very little use to you if they hadn't. Your life is a canvas for the glory of God, and that is true when you experience profound healing as this man did, and it's true when you experience profound struggles and relapses. If you are wondering where God is in your struggle and why he's taking so dang long to heal you, look at Jesus. Look at him painstakingly picking up broken pieces. Look at him loving and valuing a man that everybody else had written off as just a bundle of bad karma. Listen to him saying, let nothing be wasted. And look at him experiencing his own mental anguish. Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his suffering started way earlier than that. At the grave of Lazarus, Um, My translation says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. But other translations say he groaned in the spirit. Some say he was angry. Some say he was very sad. Jesus was not okay at that point. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And not only were his friends not there for him. Have you ever had that? When you tell somebody exactly how you feel and they just do not get it. Mm, It's fun. But his pain didn't go away when he asked God to take it away. He said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And yes, he was resurrected eventually, but he had to go through hell first, literally. Why? So that he could be with you when your suffering doesn't immediately end. And yes, I mean that for eternity, but sometimes eternity feels far away. He intentionally put himself in a position to empathize with you now and save you forever. So look at Jesus and while you're at it, ask yourself, what would total healing even mean in the case of mental health? Because you're never gonna be cured of being you. God made you you on purpose. You are probably never going to understand on this earth every in and out of why your life is the way it is. But remember that Jesus is a master storyteller. And the story of your journey with him that will one day be revealed in all its glory is a story worth waiting for. Well, what if I don't want glory? (laughs) What if I just want to feel better? The last thing we learned from this passage is that it's not all about you. If it had been all about this man's comfort, maybe Jesus would have healed him earlier. Maybe Jesus would have prevented him being born blind in the first place. But this man was a witness to the disciples, to the Pharisees, and to the enemies of Jesus, and to everyone who has read the Bible for the last 2,000 years, because Jesus wanted more for him than it being all about him. He got to be one of the first people in history to worship Jesus. He experienced a level of joy and wonder that few people ever experience. And he also experienced persecution for Jesus right away. He was given his sight and then excommunicated from the Jewish nation all in one day because it wasn't just about him. And that is not a put down. That is actually empowering. Because if it's not all about you, That means that you are not a project or a hopeless case that can only receive. You are an integral part of the work that God is doing. And you may say, but I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to struggle this way. I didn't choose whatever this is that God is trying to do. Granted, but you do have a choice now. You can engage with what God is doing or you can reject it as unfair. Option B won't actually change your situation, but it can certainly keep you from moving forward. The truth is your calling in what God is doing will involve suffering, whether you're struggling yourself or supporting somebody who is struggling. So are you being given a greater opportunity to love because you're not all better right away? Are you being given a greater opportunity to love because your loved one isn't all better right away? Can you trust Jesus enough to come to him with it? Because he did choose this, and he chose it for you. It doesn't have to be about you because he is about you. So let's get practical. How do you care for a brain that doesn't always care for you? First thing we ought to do is be proactive. And I don't just mean go out and find a therapist. That may help, so do a lot of other things. And in almost every case, you're gonna need four distinct different kinds of help. Okay? You are gonna need to cry out to God, because you're crying out to a real person who really responds, whether you sense it or not. You're gonna need your friends and family, because we are made for community. You need people in your life who are just there because they love you. You're going to need some professionals in your life, people who are trained for what you're going through. That may include counselors. That may include doctors. That may include pastors. Um, And just sort of a public service announcement here, things to note about that. Um, Pastoral counseling is great in its place, um, but most of them have not received training in mental health. So bear that in mind when you're looking for the help that you personally need. Um, also, if you feel like you maybe need medication and you can't get an appointment with, your psych- with a psychiatrist, your primary care physician can prescribe medication. Okay, so there are, there are avenues out there for you. Um, it can be a long haul finding the right ones. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, the fourth part of your team is actually yourself. Because you're the one who's going to exercise, which is hugely important to mental health. You are the one who's going to be intentional about your thoughts. You are the one who's going to know your limits and take a break from taxing situations when you need to, okay? None of these is a substitute for any of the others. You can't be healthy alone. You need your community. And your community can't double as professional help when they're not trained for it. And God is not going to magically force you to work through things that you need to work through or erase the need for the community he puts you in. Each one of these is distinct and God is with you in all of them. And I will freely admit, it is a long haul. It is a long haul trying to put together the right combination of help that you need. But you are worth a long haul. Again, look at Jesus. He waited millennia to come save you, and then he had to live through 30-something years on earth. You are worth a long haul to him. And the people around you are worth a long haul, and getting help is often the best way to love them. It's not selfish to prioritize looking for help, because you affect the people around you, and you can't, if you can't do this for your own sake, consider doing it for them because they love you and this will be a help to them as well. The second way that you can um, work on taking care of yourself and others is to get grounded in the truth. Love the truth. The Bible says that we need to take every thought captive and it says that the truth sets you free. And neurology says, You learn what you repeat. So tip the scales in favor of truth. There are so many voices in our world right now. The the just, the sheer ratio of truth to clamor that you hear is a lot to deal with. Tip the scales in favor of truth. Spend time in worship, spend time in scripture, spend time repeating God's truth. Loving truth also includes being careful with your words. And I don't mean only saying positive things. Um, When I was in college, a good friend asked me how I was, and I said, truthfully, I thought, "Um, I'm sick. And he said, don't say that. There's power in the tongue, so say you are well in Jesus. But I still felt sick, and then I also felt annoyed that he was also basically asking me to either lie or shut up. So be honest with God about how you feel. Love the truth enough to tell the truth to God. He already knows. But also go beyond that to affirm the truth of God's love and God's hope, even if you don't feel it, because what you repeat is powerful. When you are supporting people who are struggling, Um, is a time you particularly need to be careful with your words, it is really easy to throw cliches or your favorite verses at people, even if they don't really relate, um, especially if you don't fully understand what they're going through. Loving the truth includes learning how to relate the truth to what's actually going on and not deafening people with words that don't really touch their situation. Um, The other reason that you need to be careful with your words when you're supporting people is that when you're struggling, you can often take things in ways that they were not meant. So think through how your words might feel on the other end, but also don't be afraid because you can't always control how a struggling mind is gonna take things. So be careful with your words and get grounded in the truth. Number three, build some good boundaries. Boundaries deserve a sermon series of their own. Um, This is not that day. But I do have books on the back table that you can just pick up for free if you want. Um, In short, there may be people whose requests on your time or mental energy are unhealthy, or people who manipulate you, and you need boundaries to not accept what they lay on you. Um, And you need other types of boundaries too. You need to build a boundary to protect your time with God because you need time to be quiet. You need time to ask him questions. You need time to take a walk with him. You probably need time to cry. Protect that time. You also need a boundary that is called discernment. Remember how I said that it's easy to take things the wrong way when you're struggling? Not every word that you hear is a word for you, even when it's from a mentor or leader, even when it's from the pulpit. Become aware of when a well-meant word is going to be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block to you. And leave it there, outside of your inner fence. Build good boundaries. Lastly, embrace the new ways that you have now to know God. If you are struggling, don't just be ready for the struggle to end. Find the ways, the new ways that it gives you to know God. Let it fuel your dependence on God. When you can't do anything but lie in bed and listen to worship music, you find him. Ask me how I know this. Look out for the little signals of his care. Experience the depth of Jesus' love. Stop to think, Jesus felt this. If you grew up in the church, you know, trying to be good and behaving yourself, chances are you don't always feel the significance of Jesus died for my sins because you haven't really committed very many impressive ones. Um, But your sorrows are an opportunity to realize Jesus bore this. Jesus felt this for me. So look at Jesus. Allow him to look at you and love you at your very lowest, because he does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you entered into our struggles with us. Thank you that on the cross and even before the cross, you experienced every aspect of what it's like to be human, um, including the sorrows and the anxieties and the anger and all of the things that we feel Thank you that it's not wrong to feel. Thank you that you are with us um, when our emotions are cooperating and when they're not. Thank you that you care for us. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person here. Help us to take one step this week um, closer to you and closer to taking every thought captive to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.